This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. Today, podcast listeners, we are welcoming a good friend, Ike Shahada, to the show. Ike is the founder of Ike's Place, a sandwich shop that started in San Francisco and now has 36 locations all over the West Coast of the United States. Ike is a fellow bare-knuckle entrepreneur that started out with little to nothing to build his empire in a relatively short period of time, using his mental game to create success. His story is quite inspirational, and today we're going to dig into how he created this empire using expert marketing and showmanship. And without further ado, let me welcome my friend Ike to the show. How's it going, Ike? Hey, I'm doing great, Chris. How are you doing? Good, buddy. And where are you calling in from today? Uh, Today I'm in rainy and foggy san francisco california it's foggy in san francisco i uh, know lately it hasn't been but today it is well i know you got an incredible story to share so let's hop right into it and then we might talk about some business and marketing techniques afterwards tell us how you got your start as an entrepreneur and well so for me being an entrepreneur it's started really young. I was selling baseball cards and stuff when I was 12, and <laughs> I was always looking for something that I could take and spin off and make a little bit more on. I've been doing that for a long time. Mm-hmm. I've been, been in actual business, like what I would call a real business for myself, since uh, pretty much I got kicked out of college, 19 and 20 years old. <laughs> and uh, a lot of what I, yeah, a lot of what I did in the beginning set up the stages for what I'm doing now, which was mainly I learned a lot of how not to do business. And uh, Mm. in with what I'm doing now with with the sandwiches, I've been doing that since 2007 on Halloween, so just about 10 years coming up on that. Mm -hmm. And turn it just happened because it was what I, I love to eat and I like to give food to people and I really, really, really love to give people sandwiches. So I figured, let me just do that because uh, at the time I was working for other people and I figured, hey, if I'm going to not like my job, I might as well do something that I love. And then it turns out, well, uh, doing what you love means that you do love your job. And you make money and much more money sometimes. Yeah. Well, my business plan was just to feed myself and have gas in my car and my rent paid. That was my business plan when I first started. And that's kind of similar to me My when I started traveling. And it was like, how much do I need to earn per month to survive in Costa Rica? And that's all I needed. And that wasn't a lot of money. <laughs> and it worked. Let's go back to, did you have any other businesses before Ike's? I mean, other than like selling baseball cards and... Yeah, I had a supermarket. So right when I was 1920. Mm-hmm. Got in a business uh, in the family business. It was a supermarket, and then after that, I did an sensuality shop. You know, both of those businesses were in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and then uh, did those from about ninety nine to two thousand and four, about five years before they both closed, and then went into the real world and worked for other people. How was that going from being an entrepreneur? It's basically sounds like that's the only thing you knew to then going to be an employee. So when I made the conscious decision to close my business and I kind of 
took about eight nine months to for myself uh, and also I kind of had to I had to sell my house had to sell my car had to sell my business and I didn't have much money and I ended up just bouncing around mm-hmm. uh, slept in a warehouse and, and things like that and then when I decided that I wanted to make an income uh, it was kind of well I didn't have the money to be an entrepreneur again but also I was kind of like you know what I want a job where there's no responsibility at all. I just want to show up and be amazing and then go home and not have to. <laughs> I think it's kind of like in that um, Kevin Spacey in American Beauty where he goes and he works at McDonald's, but mm-hmm. like he wanted to do that. It was similar to that. And so I picked a job that at the time my number one value was uh, was uh, going on dates. So I was like, well, where can I do that at? And so my first paycheck ever was from Victoria's Secret, and I worked there. <laughs> uh, and I just showed up. I ran the crash register during the Christmas time and holiday season, and then it turned into a, from a temporary job into a permanent job. I worked there for a couple of years, and then after being uh, working for other people, being an employee for a couple of years, is when I decided, oh well, actually, you know, this there's really no there's no like upward mobility. There's <laughs> it's definitely limited to where I could go, and that's when I started. Well, I really did like working for myself. Maybe all the stuff that I thought it was, uh, all the negatives were turned back into positives about being in business for myself. And I started looking new, like, what could I do this time? So let's go back to when you were sleeping in a warehouse. Was that part of, I'm guessing is kind of part of a failed business and then not knowing what to do next? Yeah. So in my business, it was, so it was in middle of San Francisco. It's on 16th Street and Mission, for those of you familiar with that neighborhood. And that's where I had a supermarket. And it closed. Or Yeah, I decided to close it because it was, was working 20 hours and just making barely enough mm-hmm. to eat. And so I was like, well, if I'm not going to make any money in working, I might as well just close it. So I closed it. And it was a, my plan was, well, it's a supermarket. I'm going to board it up. I'm just going to live in the back until... I'm told otherwise because uh, I wasn't able to pay the rent. So I was like, I'm just going to hang out here. <laughs> Plus I was like, well, there's a, it's a grocery store. So there's food mm-hmm. on the shelves. I don't have to worry about that. I probably, and I didn't have to spend 20 hours. So I, I did that for, till I got kicked out like three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I, So I sold my house, sold my car, and then just started floating around. I slept in the back of a van. I slept in the back of other people's businesses Mm-hmm. I did that, and I just got on a plane and hung out in Hawaii for a while with my last uh, with my last like seven hundred bucks. Got on a plane and figured if I'm gonna be on the streets, I might as well do it in somewhere really nice. Yeah, uh, like I, which is the opposite weather of San Francisco essentially. And then uh, I did that until I moved back to the mainland U.S. Mm-hmm. Then started working for Victoria's Secret. That Total time was about nine months, where it was jobless and I was actually hopeless back then too. Do you feel that was like a stage in your life where you were just trying to find yourself, or you didn't know what exactly you wanted to do, or how do you feel about that time in your life? Well, so as I I remember when I was going through it, mm-hmm. uh, I remember when I was going through it, and there was two main uh, lessons that I can take from learning them is 
so I, I recall as I go to bed, and this one particular time I'm remembering was I was in the back of a van, and I had my little uh, my little fur coat, and well, it was not a real fur coat, but so it was a fake fur coat, but I used it as a blanket back then, mm-hmm. and was lying down, and I was hungry, like really hungry. I, I went to bed early mainly just because I was hungry, and. I was extremely sad and reflecting on my life and thinking of how I was a failure. And I remember before I went to bed, I said to myself, well, I remember when I broke my arm when I was six. And then I also broke my my finger when I was 23. And I said, those really, really, really hurt in the moment, physically. Like, they really hurt. And it hurt so bad that I, I cried those times. But looking at it now, and I looked at my arm and I looked at my finger and I was like, I don't feel any pain at all from them. All it was is because time passed. And I said to myself, well, this emotional pain that I'm having right now, I know sometime in the future, it's not going to be here. So I'm going to close my eyes and maybe that'll be tomorrow. Hmm. That was the day that I started saying that to myself every night before I went to bed was, okay, well, it's not... It wasn't today. Today's not the day that it doesn't hurt anymore. But maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. And I said that every single day until one day it, w- it was actually true and and I didn't hurt anymore. And it was that day where it wasn't painful anymore. So I got, that was one key thing that I still use in my life now when things aren't going the way that I want them to do. Just notice that tomorrow it'll be different and eventually it will. And then the other was that, so I was a, pretty successful entrepreneur then and I was making a couple hundred thousand a year mm-hmm. and I went from that to selling my house and selling my car and, and like $700 in the bank mm-hmm. uh, so when I went to go in the future four years after that when I went to go open up Ike's I was like well what's the worst that can happen I'll, I'll have nothing I said to myself well I did alright last time that happened <laughs> when I had nothing so it kind of gave me the uh, no fear or like it, there's no fear of the unknown like I already know what would happen if I had no money and I needed to live off of nothing I already know what would happen because I lived it and it wasn't that bad I think at the moment it felt really 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 bad but looking back upon it I was like ah, I mean eating a dollar menu at whatever fast food places are close to you every single day is I mean that's like not that bad like it's not good but I know I could do it, and I did it for nine months. So I was, it was really gave me that strong foundation to know that even if I failed in the future, that it does not matter because I can survive failure. I think this is a common mentality amongst a lot of entrepreneurs, and especially where a lot of entrepreneurs kind of move past their tipping point. You know, I had experience in my life when after the, the global recession, it wiped out my first business. I lost my car couldn't pay my rent and had to donate some plasma to buy food. And, um, I remember, you know, that was a real trialing period for me. And I, one time I had dinner and it it was a can of green beans and a can of corn. And I thought, well, (laughs) I thought, you know, I'm not going to give this, this journey up because I love being an entrepreneur, but I know this experience is going to help other people someday. And that's what kind of propelled me through my really difficult times is knowing that one day because I'm going through this other people will benefit and may not have to go through something as so severe so thanks for sharing that man that's yeah. that's an incredible 
Incredible experience. Welcome. Thank you for sharing too. I didn't know that about you. Ike, let's jump into where you first got the idea for Ike sandwiches. I know you said you love to feed people, and I know you said you love sandwiches. But was it were you working at Victoria's Secrets at the time when that happened? I was, yes. I was working at Victoria's Secret, and then I got another job at BB, which is a women's fashion line. If For those of you <laughs> that don't know what BB is, because I, I only knew what it was because it was at the mall that I was working at. And so, uh, me, me, I've been a workaholic. I got the second job so I can work seven days a week. Because mm-hmm. uh, many places, you're not allowed to work seven days a week, or, or they won't let you do that because of laws and things like that. So I got two jobs, was working seven days a week. And I was actually having a lot of fun. As I said before, my, my number one thing that I wanted at that time in my life was to have a social life. Because mm-hmm. working for myself before was, there was no, I didn't have time for a social life. And uh, my relationship suffered, and so I was like, okay, well, this time, now that I'm free, not working for myself, I'm going to go out and get dates and hang out with friends and family. And so that was my number one priority. And then it just the drive kicked back in, and, and I needed more than getting paid hourly. And even though I was moving up in both companies and getting promoted, it was still like, well, I mean, in a good month, I would make like $3,000 a month from there. When I used to make three hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars in a year, so it was it was like um, the only reason why it lasted long enough for a long time for me in those businesses was because I was having fun doing them. Mm. And then as I wanted to get back into business, I thought, what were the things that I wanted to do, coupled with the things that I knew that I could do, and. Well, I thought to myself, well, I know I can make sandwiches because I, I like to do that. But I thought that that was a lame idea. So uh, I've always been a cook. I uh, cooked for myself since I was at, went away to college and wasn't living with that family anymore. And so I wa- definitely started going towards, okay, I want to be in the restaurant business. And so I w- just went online and looked at what it would take to open up a restaurant. Looking into it. I saw, well, oh, actually opening a restaurant is going to be way more capital than I'm going to be able to get access to. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I had zero at the time. Or I had 3000 bucks in my account, which wasn't going to get it done. Though I felt like, okay, I can go find people to give me money. But to open up a restaurant in, say, San Francisco or in the Bay Area in general, it's going to be several hundred thousand dollars. Like um, 200 if you're doing it cheap to a million if you're going to go all out. Right. And so that's when I decided, okay, well, you know what? I'll just turn all my recipes into sandwiches, and that's fine. It'll be a simple life, and I know I like sandwiches, and worst-case scenario is I can eat my own food. (laughs) So I'll do that. I started telling the idea to to people, and they thought it was a stupid idea. (laughs) Of course. Then I just stopped telling people about the idea, but I did need money, so I would only tell people that, maybe would lend me the money or wanted to be partners. And so I ran around and everybody I'd tell and show my business plan, which was literally just a sheet of handwritten, <laughs> this is what I think I could do and this is the plan. And and I didn't even have a name for it at that time. It was more the idea and, and the, I had the list of the sandwiches that I wanted to make and some were really interesting and, and original and some were copies of everyone else's sandwiches. And everybody said no, and my 
showed it to my mother, and my mother says, oh, yeah, how much do you need? All right, I'll do it. Nice. And so that's kind of how it happened between the time that I had the idea to do it and the time I actually opened. That was about a year. Mm-hmm. So it took me a year to go through the checklist of what I needed to do and then actually go and do it as far as get the place open, get a play, do the menu, buy the equipment, et cetera, and all that. Uh, so it was a year process. And during that time, I was busy, well, not really selling real estate. I was a real estate agent, but not really selling it. It was in 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. And what else was I doing? I was working at Trader Joe's, which is being unfair to Trader Joe's was the least favorite job I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I was working at my buddy's restaurant. His, uh, he just opened up a restaurant. I figured, hey, if I'm going to open up a restaurant, I, I should get some restaurant experience. <laughs> so I started working at his place. Uh, he was my roommate. And uh, I started working there as a bartender, which I actually was terrible at and didn't like doing it. I wanted to be in the face of the, uh, the, the, uh, the clients and the guests. And the way they had their bar there was that the server would go out and get the drink order and then I would just make it so I had no interactions with the people mm-hmm. and I didn't like that and also I was not a good bartender <laughs> I'm pretty sure I won worst bartender in Palo Alto <laughs> 2007 and if, and if I didn't actually win it's only because they didn't have an actual award <laughs> let's see so you opened your first shop it was that 2007 you said yeah, on Halloween 2007 I opened up and I didn't sell anything on the first day <laughs> Was it Halloween? Not a, not a water. Yeah, Halloween in San Francisco. Nobody came in. No, huh? Not a single person. I mean, people walked by, but nobody came in. I had me there and uh, my friend Liz. She's a nice, sweet, charming girl, and nobody still came in. So uh, we were just hanging out in the front, and around 6 p.m. on Halloween, decided, well, this isn't going to happen today, so <laughs> let's change into our costumes and Let's, we had candy to pass out to trick-or-treaters that we thought would come by, and we didn't even give a piece of candy away for free on Halloween. Like That's how bad it was. Wow. Kids were not taking our candy. They were running away from us. I was dressed <laughs> up as Winnie and she was dressed up as uh, Tinkerbell. And, uh, so just decided to close up and go enjoy the night. How would you feel on that first day when nobody came at all? Did you think that, it, that you had done something incredibly stupid? Uh, so it was a it was a combination of feelings. Mm-hmm. I it took me. I I had a deadline to myself that I was going to open up on Halloween. I thought, okay, it's going to be San Francisco Halloween. It's going to be busy. People are going to be in the mood to like party and and have fun and and eat. So I was like, I need to be open. But the thing is, is I wasn't ready to be open, like on the morning of Halloween. So I had to do actually a lot of stuff to make sure that I opened by lunchtime on Halloween. So it's like, I need to be open. I just need that. And for business, I thought I needed to be open on Halloween for the, for to get people to come by, and then they could go and tell their friends like they were there and, and they, they had a good time. So uh, a lot of stuff happened. I go and I turn on all the equipment. The power surge goes through the building and, and blows up the oven that I had. <laughs> I that I was going to make all these sandwiches in. Oh, wow. That I thought it was going to make it stop working. But, aha, uh-huh, I did have a backup. I had a spare one, but mm-hmm. I was at my house. So I get in my car, my convertible, drop the top, drive over there, and, and lift this oven, put it <laughs> into the 
convertible <laughs> in the back seat, bring it back in. And before all the equipment had been delivered by professionals, this one I was like, no, I gotta gotta go get it. So I drove back, go to lift it up. I'm all by myself, and it slips off the counter, the, mm. the oven, and it. I go to catch it before it lands on the ground, and it cuts my leg and <laughs> cuts through my jeans. And like now I got this like slit in my jeans and the cut on my leg, pretty big cut. Mm-hmm. Put it back up, plug it in, turn it on. All right, fine, it works, great. And then put the other oven in the back. It was pretty. It was pretty heavy uh, experience as far as like literally <laughs> physically heavy, and then also like mentally, heavy, <laughs> emotionally, and mentally. Yeah. And so I uh, put that out. Then I turn it on, and I'm like, all right, now I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I'm totally like pumped up. Like uh, my body has all these. Like I just worked out. I literally did. I carried a 120 pound oven and put it up and then bring it right in my car and then put it on the counter and then almost had a heart attack when I almost died <laughs> underneath it put it back up and then got rid of the other one and, and so I had a good physical workout mental and emotional workout and I'm like alright I'm pumped and I go out and then nothing freaking happened like, hey. <laughs> so I say hello I stood outside the door first I thought I was going to wait inside and just have everybody walk in and then that didn't happen for like 45 minutes so mm-hmm. I stood outside and said hi to everybody people were across the street I'd wave at them <laughs> People are wondering, like, who's this guy just hanging out and saying hi to everybody? And uh, everybody thought I was like flirting with them. And it was just overall a weird experience. And then my friend shows up. She comes to help me out because I told her, oh, yeah, I'm going to need some help. I'm moving by myself. So she shows up, and we're just hanging out now. And now it's starting to get dark. And uh, we're like, okay, well, let's just pass out candy to the kids. We see kids starting to trick or treat. Kids will walk by. I'm like, hey, you guys want a peppermint patty? You want a lollipop? And their parents are like, no candy from strangers. And they're like, <laughs> pulling them away from us. It was actually uh, sad. Like after getting rejected by candy from every single – it's Halloween and kids won't even take candy from you. Right. So but uh, to, you asked about the whole, the whole thing. So when we decided to close and I went home uh, after going out, we definitely went out. And then went home, I, I remember lying in bed going, whoa, like that was – terrible experience (laughs) and i was so upset with how everything transpired the whole the injury and the the emotional (laughs) roller coaster and then the not selling anything that i just didn't open for a week so i I, second day open was on november 7th and that day i stood outside the store the whole time and i just told everybody that walked by hey let me buy you lunch let me buy you lunch and 95% 95% of the people that I said, let me buy you lunch, she like looked at me like I was weird and like, no, I'm not, you cannot buy me lunch. <laughs> but I got nine people to walk into the store and buy a sandwich. And uh, I told them, oh, no, I said I was going to buy you lunch. But none of them let me buy them lunch. So they actually all paid 10 bucks. Sandwiches were 7 They all just put 10 bucks, and it's like, just keep the change, just keep the change. So I made $90 on the <laughs> second day. The third day, so it took me three days before I sold 10 sandwiches before I got into double digits. Mm-hmm. Three and open. And then uh, it just felt built from there. I'd stand outside, tell people I'd buy them lunch, and then they'd come in until one day I didn't have to stand outside anymore. Because wow. every time I'd be inside, then people would just come on in and I didn't have time to go back outside. How long did it take you to get to that point where you didn't have to wave people in from outside anymore? Uh, that was about three months of mm. maybe not consistently going outside and waving people in, but to the point where at about three months I didn't have to, at least during the lunch period, didn't have to go outside and try to generate my own business where it would be 
busy for maybe two hours straight before I'd get I'd get a break. And then it ended up being the exact opposite where maybe within say six months, it was where I didn't get any breaks. I was working from when I got there to when we closed and we'd have to kind of like just shut the like we need to close otherwise I've been back there making sandwiches for 10 hours straight with just bathroom breaks kind of thing. I didn't know what I was doing. I remember like when the first person ordered a sandwich, I was like, oh, cool. My first order. And then I look at the everything and go, oh, well, I realize I actually haven't made a sandwich yet. I mean, I made them for myself before, but I haven't made one. I didn't do any test runs. So the first time I made that sandwich was literally the first time I ever made the sandwich. Like that person ordered a number nine on the menu. And that was the first time I ever made a number nine in my whole life. <laughs> so so it was a lot of, I realized that, okay, well, I wasn't prepared, actually prepared. The store wasn't actually prepared. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I wasn't prepared to go in there and, and like I just thought money was going to come in. And, and that was clearly not the case. And uh, so it was a combination of, well, my like my cut was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I was really sad. And I needed to get back in the game. Like, okay, well, how? Well, what am I going to do differently this time? Like, I don't want to go out there and then not sell anything again, uh, kind of thing. So it was a combination of all that. Now, fast forward to today, you you have thirty six Ike sandwich stores all around the West Coast. How long did you have that first store before you opened up a second? So I, the first one was Halloween 2007. The second one was 2009, mm-hmm. I believe, April. So what's that? About a little over a year and a half. Okay. And then how long did you have that second before you opened up a third? The So I actually signed a lease for the second store on campus at Stanford. Okay. Uh, around a year in. And the second one opened. So I signed that and I put down, and it was, they're building a new school of engineering on campus at Stanford University. Mm-hmm. And so that for me, that was the, we called that the second one, but then it didn't open because the, the building got delayed and all these things for the, for the actual school of engineering got delayed uh, by, I don't know, like a year. So it didn't actually open until the third one opened. So we, we already called that Ike's number two, so we opened up the third one, Ike's number three, but opened up second, so it turned into this weird, uh, people like, wait, wait, this is number three, where's the second one? And you're like, oh, <laughs> you got to find it. It's like, where's Waldo? <laughs> it's he- it's so hidden somewhere of, in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah. We So a lot of people like, wait, where's the second one? Because it was literally called Ike's Place number three, or Ike's Place three. And... Uh, but to when the actual second one opened, which made it the third one, that between the first one and the third one, that was all uh, about two and a half years. Or two and a half years in, I had, so it was September 2010. Gotcha. So yeah, uh, actually a little bit less than three years is when all three were open, the first three. Very cool. And I know you experienced, after a while, you experienced some pretty rapid growth with your business. When did it really really start to take off for you as far as uh, growth or sales or or what which uh both so let's say sales one and also then the locations so let's see so for sales i I was blessed that that first ike's 
that opened in San Francisco, that one that didn't sell anything on the first day, mm-hmm. ended up being in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, TV for a lot of uh, the Food Network shows and Travel Channel shows. Mm-hmm. And so that store went from selling $0 in a day to $3 million a year in uh, three less than three years. And so that store was able to fuel the growth of, of every other store because that store costs 70000 bucks. Mm-hmm. If we're making $3 million a year, I mean, you can imagine how many stores you can open up. Right. Uh, so in 2010, there were three stores. Uh, I'd say on January 1st, 2011, there were three. Mm-hmm. By January 1st, 2012, that's when we opened up the, the fourth store. And in that 2012, I opened up eight. So I went from three to uh, 12 stores in one year, in 2012. What would you credit that growth to? I know you said for the sales in the first store, you got featured in Wall Street Journal and a few other newspapers, but what else contributed to that growth? Uh, Well, so because of the way permitting works, and I'm not sure how many people are familiar with that, is that, uh, say, if I found a location and I wanted to put something there, we'll have to need, n- literally get everybody's permission in the, in the whole freaking county to be able to open that. Now, mm-hmm. when I opened up the first dikes, I just opened it and didn't know of, of all these processes, and I ended up getting in trouble for it, and, and which ended up working out because then I was in the news, and that's why I was in the Wall Street Journal and New York Times. <laughs> okay. So I opened up a restaurant thinking you could just open up a restaurant, it's America, and then, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason why I went from from four to 12 in one year was we had a lot of restaurants openings on backlog where we attempted to open them, but we didn't actually get permission to open them until 2012. Mm. So it was a bunch of those five of the stores that we opened in 2012 were signed before 2012, like even in 2010, but we were not given permission to open by the, whatever various governments of whatever towns those were in. But then also I had, uh, other opportunities that came in and I had a partner come in that was really good at the growth side of the business. And so he had his plan that he was going to open up, you know, his, like what his plan was. And then we already had another five. So it just turned into, well, we opened up, um, eight locations in the one year. It just kind of just stacked in and we were, had a time where we opened up like three in three weeks kind of thing. And that's not, we have not had that happen since, but it's one of those where, We've been on the clock with these other locations for so long mm-hmm. that they just have stacked. One week was here, one week was there. And luckily, at that time, they were all in the Bay Area. So I was able to monitor everything uh, pretty easily from one spot. And the other stores, do they experience the same type of results as your first store? You know, the first three months or so, there's a really slow growth, and then all of a sudden it kind of starts to pick up or is it different now that you're more of a, you're a quite popular name around California and the Bay Area? Uh, well, luckily, I've been blessed that when we open a new place, it ends up in the papers, hmm. it ends up in the online stuff. So they pretty much, they didn't peak in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, though they've all opened up to great sales, essentially, uh, where they're turning a profit within 60 days of opening uh, we're, we're blessed like that where the people will talk and even if somebody hadn't ever been to Ike's they know of it uh, now that's what happened see that even happened when we opened up in Arizona where we hadn't had an Ike before 
or where we opened in LA where we didn't have any before in San Diego is where the first days in the beginning, it's like a real big buzz and the food blogs, which are now really big, especially in California, they mm. cover it. Uh, we've even gotten mayors to come out and cut ribbons on the openings where they're, they're really excited that their city's getting an Ike's. And so it's totally different than the first time when I tried to open one and there was literally negative fanfare. Uh, this is uh, the exact opposite. So it's been, I mean, I'm thankful for everybody that's talked about Ike's because it's definitely made it more fun and more or less, I don't want to call it easy because nothing's easy. We still have to go out and do the work, but we don't have to go out and actually generate the business in the beginning. It's more of let's open up and let's just have a lot of fun, throw a big fat party mm-hmm. and then let uh, let people have fun and enjoy it. And those that don't, we do uh, free sandwiches and have people come in and like, oh yeah, we just opened. So we're just, we're practicing. We're just yeah. practicing. We do live practice, practice mm-hmm. on people walking in and we just say, well, we're not going to charge you for your food, but we're practicing, you know, so do not, <laughs> you know, that's like these kids first time they're making a sandwich. So we decided instead of doing the footing, the cost of having people train in the beginning, maybe it's also something that I do that's a little bit different than others. Mm-hmm. Instead of having them come in and train and do cold run, you know, do runs, but like not on actual people, we just open up for business and and uh, at least get the goodwill out of that because it's going to cost the same amount to have them practice and make the food and then donate the food or whatever. So might as well just give it to actual fans. That's a great strategy, man. I like that. Like I've seen a lot of your branding and marketing over the past four or so years that we've known each other. I think you're an expert in marketing and branding. Can you share your philosophy on building your brand and how you some of the tactics you use to do that? Yeah, uh, I think the the number one philosophy, like the foundation for the the branding and the interaction with fans, is that I realized that. Uh, fans, whatever your product is, yours, mine, everyone else is out there, is you have, they don't actually care about you and your product. They care about what you and your product can do for them. Mm-hmm. So when I focus on what is it that my client likes, and that's either what it, what is my client like about me, my product, my place, or what do they like in general? So if I find out that they're sports fans or that they, uh, whatever it is, your your niche. My, my fans, I know they like sports, they like food, they like great service. So all my marketing is around sports, food, service, fun, uh, that stuff. And it, it doesn't, in a lot of, you'll see if you follow me, not everything that I put out there is even Ike's related. I'll put stuff out that is, uh, we'll do promos like that doesn't even have anything to do. Or, you know, oh, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl yesterday. All right, everybody that orders a Tom Brady sandwich can get six free onion ring or five free onion rings on their sandwich because he has five rings, <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, doing stuff like that where it's focused solely on what they want, even if what they want isn't, say, what I am at that time, and doing everything in that, and then also focusing on where can I find things that they like so that I can connect it back to to me if if it can be and don't want to do it awkwardly but if you can do it in a way that like with the Tom Brady thing where you can do it that it is linked to me then do it otherwise it then just promote what they like because if they're reading your stuff 
because they like sports or they're reading your stuff because they really like crazy food. But here's a an amazing pizza burger uh, with nachos on top of it that I didn't make, but somebody else made. Well, I'm gonna start telling people about, hey, check this place out because they're gonna like it and they're gonna know that I told them about it. And uh, positioning myself as an expert in just sports, food, and service areas, just in general, mm-hmm. and then they see it as well. You know, I'm also from Ike's, uh, so it helps me in that way. And I guess also I I did brand myself around me. So it helps me to be able to spin myself off into other areas where it's not awkward. The place is called Ike's. My face is on there. I come up with the recipes. I'm in the marketing. I'm the one that does the TV. I'm the one that goes out and meets the celebrities and does all the big events. And so when I'm doing something that might be what they love, but not Ike's related, I'm still the one and they link me with my business. Now, I love the names that you have for your sandwiches. And if you guys ever go to the website, Ike's website, the website, I like Ike'sPlace.com, you guys can see the names of all the sandwiches that he has from, let's see, Adam Richmond, Al Bundy, Bella, Brutus, Chippers 5, Joe Montana, Love Triangle, Pilgrim. <laughs> and, and they go on and on. Each, each store has a different menu, right? Or different, different names for their sandwiches. Is that correct? Yeah, so I make the menus for each location specific to that area. Some names don't do this; don't have the same meaning in different areas. However, then you can order every sandwich everywhere. So if somebody comes in, and you can order Joe Montana everywhere, even not in San Francisco. Uh, same thing, you know, open order a Tom Brady everywhere. Just it doesn't only have to be in uh, New England, although we don't have any stores out there. And uh, it's it's a way that want to show that we're local ties. I go and do my research on the area, what what's historically what has happened here, and name sandwiches for those events and those people. And then uh, also create some sandwiches specific for the, the region. If the region is really big on seafood, then we'll make a seafood-centric menu. Or if they're, uh, say, are we going to a community where they eat kosher and halal, then we'll steer the menu for mostly that. Mm. And, and et cetera, et cetera, and keep going through to make it, want to make it a mom and pop shop everywhere we go, even though we're definitely not that anymore. Do you pick the names personally, Ike? That's a combination of a, of a lot. We do some contests online where I'll give out free sandwiches if you can come up with a cool name in the sandwich combo. I've picked, I probably made 90% of the names, and the other 10 is staff and, and fans that have come up with them. So I want to ask you about your website. I know a lot of online entrepreneurs or tech entrepreneurs that would have a heart attack if they saw your website. And it's basic, which is cool right. because it works for you. So is that a strategy that you use with your your branding or what's the story behind that? Uh, for me, it uh, well, one, I would love to have a, a better website. Mm-hmm. I just feel like we've been focusing on Focusing on on our like our core strengths, and our core strengths isn't hey look me up online. My core strength is focusing and pu- putting the money behind the face to face person that we have, yeah, and into how we can make it so that we're top of mind. And I mean, honestly, the only people that go to our website are people that have never eaten at Ike's before. So I know that when people go to our website, they're 
uh, if they don't get a good first impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure, I know that because I go to the website sometimes to to do some research and and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah it it it's it is basic. Uh, once upon a time, we had a bunch of other stuff in there that uh, let people. Um, play games and and ask questions and interact and rate sandwiches and it it we didn't see it turn into actual um, an experience in in the store and mm-hmm. so for us it's it's if we can get my number one way that I want to get business is because you told everybody to eat there and we want to put that whole focus there and uh, and then also through our social media which. Uh, which I run personally, so we're focusing the stuff there, and eventually we'll get to the website. And every time we go to do the website, we're like, "Oh well, we just opened up five new stores. Now we've got a <laughs> there's a bunch, of, it's a bunch more work." So we're, we're kind of like, "Okay, well, we've got nine more stores opening. We'll be at forty five locations, and then when that happens, then I can we don't really have anything coming up after that. And we can go back in and and just integrate everything together how we want to do it." But uh, for the website, it's—I mean—that's only people that that have never been to Ike's usually are using our website. So I would prefer to focus on people that are actually my customers. And if we do everything great, if we hit everything that we want to do in the stores, then I don't want to say the website's irrelevant. But they're going to tell that person, and that person's going to go to the website. And even though our website is uh, rudimentary, then you're still going to come on in because your friend told you it was amazing. You're not just randomly running in the website and going, oh, this place sucks. You're going, well, Chris said I need to eat there, so I'll put up with this. Uh, and it's basic. It says the name of the sandwich and, and the address and stuff like that. So it's it's no frills, and I feel like it's fully functional from the standpoint of if you just want to pick your sandwich, then get information, then there you go. Now, I, I like it because, um, well, a couple of reasons. One, you're going for that mom and pop feel. And a website definitely gives that mom and pop feel. And and two, are you familiar with Noah Kagan? I'm not. He's the founder of AppSumo. I saw him at a business conference a few months back, and we were going through website teardowns, basically. And this website from a guy from India came up, and it was it was basic and simple, and the crowd was saying, "You should do this. You should do this. You should do this." And Noah said, "Well, wait a minute. Like, how much money are you making from your business?" And he said, "Oh, I made three hundred thousand last year." And he's like, "Well, don't change a damn thing." And he's like, "If you're doing that well, maybe it, your audience likes that." I, I like the fact that you're focusing on more on the personal relationships. Now, you mentioned that you do all your social media, and that seems like a big job. How did social media play a role in your success? Yeah, well, so in the beginning, when I first opened, let's see, what were we using? We were using MySpace as our website. Really? <laughs> that's, how, that's how long ago, uh, or doing social media that I've been a part of. And so it just had that and had a page for Ikes and uh, and all the little, what were they, like blog things or whatever you had put on the side. That would be the link to the menu kind of thing. And I just went in there and I just typed everything up and, and that worked. We would, in the beginning of it, we'd tell people, oh, yeah, just go to MySpace slash, you know, Ike's Place or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it worked. We did that for a while until some kids at Stanford said, we'll make you a website because we love you. And that's essentially when we started getting a web presence. This is in the very beginning of social media and, and all the, this aspect. But I did have a Facebook page pers- for my personal Facebook page, and, and I just turned that into an Ike's page. Uh, this was before... 
Facebook had business pages. So right. we were running it and ended up being one of the people that they brought in for to test Facebook pages on because I was actually using it for business before people were using it for business. Oh, nice. And what I noticed was, yeah, I mean, well, so what I noticed is that people in the beginning were really, I mean, still now, but notice that people were wanting to interact with the business. And I saw that because it was me interacting and the place was named Ike's. I mean, I also tell people, well, it's kind of cheating for me because I am Ike. And so when I respond, they get, it's a much different response than if I had an actual social media team out there doing it for me. Right. Uh, so even if it was your own business, if it's not called your your name, they still might not put it, oh, it's the owner. It's not, it doesn't maybe not have that same gravitas. So right. I got to, like, get, I lucked out on a lot of ways. But when I would be the one responding, nearly every complaint that would come through would get, oh, no worries. I know you're amazing. I love you. I love your sandwiches. I was just having a bad day. I apologize. And they would just they would just fix the thing themselves kind of kind of thing and just notice that that kept on happening. And then as Yelp became prevalent, it would happen on Yelp too where I'd respond and like, oh, no, sorry, I, my bad. I was just you know having a bad day. And no, no, I'll just change my review. Don't worry. You know, I don't need anything. And I'm like, whoa, like, just come on in. Like, I want to make it right kind of thing. So maybe my first tip is would be is to just be genuine in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't take anything personally. Uh, whatever that m- people mostly write negative than positive, uh, and if you do an amazing job, then you'll get a lot of positive stuff too. And but you'll still get negative stuff. So if you don't take the the positive too positively, and you don't take the negative negative, and you just focus on what is at hand and take it as a learning experience, the positive and and the negative. And then respond from that space, uh, whether or not you agree with them when they're saying something incorrect, and just just do that. And I found that that just would melt away frustrations, uh, especially when I was willing to be the one that was interacting with them and just changing, like, oh, yeah, okay, fine, we were wrong, kind of thing. That stance, we were wrong, and it would just turn over things really amazingly. Mm-hmm. Thing is, is you gotta be genuine when you're doing that. Now they know that Ike's was all about being love and being sandwiches and and being fun and flirty and personal. So when we responded in that way, they already kind of had that experience for themselves, or if not, from their friends telling them that. When I responded that way, it was genuine. Do you think you'll ever get to a point where where you'll stop handling the social media for Ike's? Uh, so my new. The answer is no. <laughs> the The new <laughs> to it is I have people that that supplement what I do, okay? Because I can't do it all. There's there's uh, way too many now. They in way too many different. There's Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Now on the producing content part, I'm the that's where we have some people supplement, but I still am also providing my own content from my personal life. And like I said, I, I don't just focus on Ike stuff. If I'm at an event that I think my fans would find fun, I'll post about that. Or I'll post about when I'm in a self-development class or I'll post as I'm reading a book and I feel like that this uh, little segment of this book applies to many people that might be following me and I'll just post stuff like that. So in that aspect, no, it's not going to change because I'm going to continuously do that because it gets great feedback and it's also who I am. And my business is a reflection of me and that means everything that I do. 
And then, uh, but as far as the interacting with the fans kind of thing, they also, like I said, they love it when I do it more than when whoever else does it. Chase does it, or, or Yell does it, or Aaron does it. It's it's a different response. So it's going to be a combination of me, uh, I guess, until I don't like to do it anymore. Maybe one day when I when I don't like to do it, then I won't. Uh, but until then, I, I think it's essential that that it's the, the number one part of the, in the business is going to be the customer service. So I think that if people are selling it short and, and outsourcing that part, and it's your mm-hmm. business, that's that's where you are going to have great opportunities to gain and lose yeah. is in that interaction with the customers. And, and don't take it as it's just social media. No, it's like your customers, and it's what they care about. They write you something. I mean, they want a response, and it's better if it's from you than if it's from somebody that can't help them. Like, I like to know like two or three tips that you could think of from a branding standpoint that you think entrepreneurs are lacking out there in the world today. For, uh, from a branding, oh, so I mean, reading all these books about what they tell you to to study and, and different philosophies on 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 how to build a brand. I mean, mm. there's some that I. And, and a lot that I don't. I think that the the number one thing is is for you not to be fake, for you to be authentic, whatever it is. Like if you're gonna be the 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 place where it's my privilege to be your business, like but like but make that authentic. Like you have to actually that has to be you. That can't be some generated, contrived. Like we're gonna pretend that we're better than you think. Like you actually need to be that. Mm-hmm. I think that if that. <laughs> happen and the other way like if you are if you're all about oh no we care about customer service and we care about the client like you actually have to do that if, if you don't actually <laughs> care that's not actually you which is totally fine it, it, i think that all ways of doing business they are are cool but you can't pretend that customers are first if you don't actually think that <laughs> so uh, the number one tip would be to just be authentic whatever it is just pick whatever you are what you value and be authentic with that and stick to that always like it, it doesn't need customer centric and it doesn't need to be uh business centric it's just what who you are because you can't fake that and if you're going to be genuine and be real every single aspect they're going to they're going to pick that up and the people that are like you they're going to like you mm-hmm. even for that for that so that that's the first thing is be authentic and everything me i'm if you re- read my stuff i'm i kind of go through my phases of well i think that people need to be 100% accountable and i remember in, in a blog uh, before i i had something that i called the accountability revolution and where i was just like no you need to be accountable for your experience and your feelings and that's what i what i was driving mm-hmm. and now that i, I am uh, quote unquote successful and need to be super customer centric or whatever because i i um, want customers well, I'm still in that uh, that where you need to be accountable for your own experience. Where people will come in and they'll say that whatever it was, and and I'm going to hold them accountable for that that experience that they had. If we messed up, I'm going to say, well, yeah, we messed up here. How come you did this though? Why did you yell? Why did you do this thing? Uh, did you think that they were you're going to yell at them and they were going to kiss your butt and then give you like free food? Like is that why you did that? Mm-hmm. Oh well, they messed up. I'm like, yeah, but why were you a jerk? Kind of thing. Okay, we we messed up, so we'll we'll do this for you, but I'm not going to give you 17 free sandwiches because you cussed us out and we threw you out. Like that's not that's just not going to happen, kind of thing. <laughs> so authenticity, and then uh, from a from a branding standpoint is is more. Uh, I talked about that earlier. Is find out what your clients care about 
and mm-hmm. 99 times out of 100, it's not you. It's not your brand. So what is it that they actually care about all the time when they're not shopping at your place or doing business with you? And then focus on that. And it's going to be different for each company. Like I said, I know for mine, it's food, sports, and a little bit, I guess, these days, noticing that people are enjoying the, the self-help things that I'm, that I'm putting into. Mm-hmm. But I think that's more um, self-imposed than me putting that in there because I feel like that's, what I, that's who I am and it's authentic. But So find out what it is, what they want, and don't ever think that anybody actually is, is you're at the top of their mind. No, you're, you're when they, you're not. And if you think that you are, then that's where you're going to lose regardless of how great your business is. I mean, people don't use Microsoft or Apple because Apple's top of mind. They use it because they need that. They need that, right? They need the communication and they need the stuff that's on there. If, if it was somebody else that came before or somebody else that's going to come after, um, they'll, they'll do that if it's better and if it's, if it's more in alignment with, with, with what they want. So it's not you, it's them. But those are the, the top two. Let me see if there's something else I got that, uh, that's not going to be in a book. Well, I mean, my philosophy is that everything is the basics. If you, and uh, in, in in most things to be great, it's the basics part. It's the, what is it that you're doing? And then what's like the first step to that? And whatever that is, just be really, really, really amazing at that. In sports, it's like blocking or, you know, uh, running and, and things like that. Just the, the basic stuff. In business, it's it's how does your store look like? What's the first uh, impression? How are the people in the front of your business? What are they exuding? What are they not exuding? Uh, is it easy for somebody to frequent your place or to do business with you online or whatever it is? Is it easy for people? And it's it's the basics. Very nice, my friend. So you mentioned earlier, I you're implementing or starting a bottom-to-top philosophy of business. I'd like to learn a little bit more about that, if you if you don't mind sharing. Uh, yeah, so I'm experimenting with it. I'm not sure if anybody else is doing it. I know that nobody that I know that's in business is doing it. But essentially, it's where if, uh, I mean, job descriptions have been like pretty big these, these past like year or two or three, where, oh, you want to make sure everybody's on the same page with, with what they're expected of, like the day that they start kind of thing. And I remember noticing that trend a couple of years ago. And what I saw, if you look at it from the, all the way from the, the, the people all the way at the front of the, the lower of, of the pyramid and the top where the CEO is, is everything seems to be driven from the CEO down as in terms of vision and, and things like that, which I feel like that, that should remain that way. Uh, with one caveat is so the CEO is doing the vision. What if instead of just the one person leading the vision, you had the vision all the way at the bottom? Hmm. It, it's not just from the top. It's it's the people that are face to face with the clients, which are actually the most important people that you have. It's more important than the CEO. Everybody that works the cash register at and every Ike's is way more important than me and my company. And so if they were the ones carrying the vision and it was in their uh, job description that they need to be carrying the vision and driving profitability and making sure there isn't being any waste and making sure that there's, there's no, um, the, the customer service is being taken care of like from a really high level instead of delegating that up to where that would be like a shift supervisor's job to make sure that the, 
that the people in the front are doing their job essentially. And then the, the store manager's job is supposed to make sure the store is profitable and that the store is living within the values of the company. Well, what if it was all the way at the, the front, the people that are actually interacting with your customers and your mm-hmm. clients and guests. And so been working on that where it's like non-negotiable. Like you need to be driving profitability from the register or you need to be driving, driving profitability. If you're the mop sweeper, uh, you're cleaning up the bathrooms or you're, doing whatever job it is in the back of the house. Like, you need to be the one driving profitability because essentially they're, they're the ones touching the food, they're touching the product, right. they're the ones at the register, they're the ones wasting or not wasting company time and money <laughs> and, and sources. So who better to lead that than them? If you know while you're chopping tomatoes that you need to not waste them and you need to be efficient because that's your job, then... Uh, well, it's like I said, it's something that I thought of. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to think of it, uh, and hopefully I'm not the first person to do it. That we're doing that now is where it's they need to be the ones driving it, not the people higher up. If it's it's kind of uh, so. Bill Belichick said it in the game yesterday. If they were waiting till halftime to make adjustments, and if you don't didn't watch the Super Bowl, they were getting their butts whooped, and mm-hmm. and they ended up winning. But he said, if you wait until halftime to make adjustments, then that's just too late. You need to make adjustments now. And so for me, it's if, if uh, you're waiting to see if profitability and um, customer service is being done, but it's three levels up. Well, by then, the customer service was already bad. If there was a, Or the profitability, that's, those are lagging indicators. If you look at the end of the month to see if you're profitable, then it's already too late. The month already happened. So whether or not you're profitable or not happened at, was, a, was a lagging indicator. But if you can drive the profitability right now and drive the customer service right now, then there's likely to be less issues and more profitability. And I'll let you know how it goes. It's only been a couple months. I like it, man. Long-term vision for Ike's. Last question. Long-term. Well, I'd love to be valued the same as uh, Subway and Chipotle, which is a $10 billion valuation. Be in every single state for sure all over the world. Uh, I'd love to find countries that I want to go visit and then plop a few Ikes in there, travel, and uh, continuously grow through showing people that you can do business by being love-centric and focusing on people and food. You just focus on the community aspect of and love of food. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole thing that the people, I mean, everybody eats for the most part, 99.999% of the people eat. So if you can focus on that and it just anchors people to their animal desires that just continuously doing that and doing that and showing them the other desires like love and affection and uh, fun and flirtiness until it stops being fun, which will probably be never. I, I've got a perfect city for you if you want to go abroad, Barcelona. It's a walkable city. There's tours out there all year round. And bocadillos are okay, which is a Spanish version of a, a sub, but they could definitely use some help. So if you... If I'm uh, spot, I'll travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, buddy. Um, I want to give you a big thank you for coming on the show and thank you for sharing your wisdom and tips and tricks with the listeners. If anybody wants to reach out and learn more about Ike's, whether it be social media or your website, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, the best way to get to me is via my Facebook page, which is uh, my personal uh, public figure page. That's facebook.com slash to be like Ike. 
and that's uh, T-O-B-E-L-I-K-E-I-K-E. That's the best way. And then you can also see what I'm up to and in, in kind of my philosophy on business. And I, I do post a lot of uh, thoughts and, and things like that on there and some food too. If you want to follow some Ike stuff, it's facebook.com slash Ike's. And you can see what we do specifically for the business. But uh, if you message me on my page, um, I, I might not respond right away, but I respond to every single message. So, All right, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in for another show. Ike, thanks again for coming on the show, buddy. Bye. Thanks for your time, guys. I appreciate it. And keep up the great work, Chris. Um, enjoying following you from everywhere in the world you go. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world